Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. That's in the United States, in North America, and around the world, for those who are waking up and it's still the morning. Shalom, peace. My name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program has been on the air since the latter part of 2007. And this program is really for those who understand the following. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Reading this in the uh, King James Version. Most people are familiar with it. That's why I use it. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, At the same time came the Talmudim, or the disciples, unto Yeshua, or Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In verse 2 of Matthew chapter 18, And Yeshua called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst, or in the middle of them. In verse 3, And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted, and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in this walk, I see that it's difficult for some people to truly humble themselves and to not think highly of themselves. And the word humble in the Greek means to depress, to humiliate, to not think very high of yourself, to be realistic about your capabilities and your limitations. That's what humble means. So, I hope you are humble enough to listen to me. I hope uh, you are humble enough to realize you don't know everything. I can say that I don't know everything. And I am constantly or consistently learning new things out of the Bible. And so should every one of you. So, if you are a know-it-all, then this, this program isn't for you. However, if you're humble enough to realize you don't know it all, this program is definitely for you. And we must always remember the following. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua Messiah. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. All right, so for those who are familiar with this program, you know what I'm going to do first. <laughs> I'm going to go and look at world news and follow the admonition in Luke chapter 21 by the Messiah 
He tells us to watch and pray always that we will be worthy to escape all these things. What things? Well, the the things of the great tribulation, which um, some of us will be alive when it happens. And even if we're not alive, uh, we none of us know where we're going to die, so we always need to be uh, fervently obeying the scriptures and obeying the Torah to the best of our ability. All right, so I'm going to watch.org. I'm already there, watch.org. This is Koenig's International News. He does an excellent job of keeping us up to date with what's going on in Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14 highlights that the great trouble or tribulation will begin at Jerusalem and end at Jerusalem. The headline that I see on this website says Israel foils major Hamas terror attack at Jerusalem Stadium. The European Union holds bitter debate over whether to recognize Palestine. Germany warns wrecking Russian economy would be perilous. I'm just reading the headlines here. The EU, time running out for Gaza reconstruction, Hamas and PA, Palestinian Authority, yet to overcome their differences. Okay, so that's what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, basically quiet, but still things are are uh, gradually getting to the point where the Bible prophecies will be fulfilled one day. Let's also check what's going on domestically meeting in the United States. Uh, what I do is um, go to the Economic Collapse blog, that's B as in boy, the Economic Collapse blog.com. And he states here, are you prepared for the coming economic collapse in the next Great Depression? Well, I know that most people aren't. Anyway, this is an interesting headline here. I'll read this, uh, a little bit of it anyway. It says, did we just witness the last great Black Friday celebration of American materialism? And that's an interesting question because we know that Americans suffer from the lust of materialism. They want it now, now, now to use credit cards to charge for things that they really can't afford, neither do they need. I understand in situations where you're in a, in a bind and you have to pay your utility bill, you need food, and no one wants to help you, and you use a credit card. But we're, we're talking about people using credit cards and for getting things they don't need. That's That's irresponsible. But anyway. States here, Americans are going to spend more than $600 billion this Christmas season, which is ridiculous. We know that Christmas is certainly uh, spoken about regardless of so-called scholars and, and their denial. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 10, it talks about a tree uh, decked with silver and gold. That's obviously what a Christmas tree is today, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, it says Americans are going to spend more than $600 billion this Christmas season, and on Friday we got to see our fellow citizens fight each other like rapid animals over foreign-made flat-screen televisions and Barbie dolls. This is just totally ridiculous. Uh, God condemns this type of behavior. In John chapter 2, uh, when he talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's not of the Father. But anyway, as disgusting as this behavior is to many of us, there may soon come a time when we will all finally remember these days. Most Americans are completely unaware of what is currently happening in the financial world, 
But right now there are deeply troubling signs that will could, could be on the verge of another major global financial collapse. So what I was trying to say is that, but right now there are deeply troubling signs that we could be on the verge of another major global financial collapse. If the next great economic downturn does not strike in 2015, that could mean that we may have just witnessed the last great Black Friday celebration of American materialism. No, he says, if the next great economic downturn does strike in 2015, that could mean that we may have just witnessed the last great Black Friday celebration of American materialism. As you read this, stock prices are approximately double the value that they should be. Margin debt is hovering near all-time record highs, and the too-big-to-fail banks are being far more reckless than they were just prior to the last major stock market implosion. So many of the exact same patterns that we witnessed back in 2007 and 2008 are repeating right now, and as you will see below, that's if you read the rest of the article, of course, this includes a horrifying crash in the price of oil. Anyone with half a brain, and I sincerely hope we all have at least half a brain, should be able to see the slow-motion financial train wreck that is unfolding right before our eyes. Very interesting article. As Again, I'm not surprised that he has excellent articles on his website. Please feel free to read this information and prepare yourself. It says, did they want more violence in Ferguson? Ten coincidences, too glaring to ignore. It says, the Federal Reserve is at the heart of the debt enslavement system that dominates our lives. Are you better off this Thanksgiving than you were last Thanksgiving? Very good. Um, oh, actually, another article here says, ten examples of the social decay that is eating away at America like cancer. Like cancer. So please read these articles. I hope these articles wake you up to reality, the reality of this wicked world that we live in. All right. Got 34 minutes left. We're going to get into the topic of this program. Are the traditions of the Jews all bad? Well, I'm sure that those who are in the Hebraic Roots movement you probably have looked at Fiddler on the Roof. Um, you're probably familiar with the little song about traditions, 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 traditions. Well, I don't know one organization or group of people that don't have traditions, ladies and gentlemen. Traditions is normal for human beings to have. And one of the most disturbing things that I find in this in this movement the Hebraic Roots Movement, people start to realize, duh, Jesus is a Jew. Duh, you know, finally, after all these years, your brain start kicking in and you realize, wait a minute, he's a Jew. When you were taught that he was a European or they did not really emphasize the fact that he was a Jew. And so you finally wake up and God helps you wake up and you realize that Jesus is a Jew. Okay, let's stop. Let's use our common sense here that he all gives us. And so if Jesus is a Jew and he came as a Jew, then how can all the traditions of the Jews be bad? Let's, let's, let's use our common sense here. It doesn't make any sense, does it? So why would he be 
come as a Jew if all the traditions were were bad. All right, so I, I hope that you're starting to understand something. I, I truly don't believe that all traditions of the Jews are bad. Matter of fact, a lot of them are good for you. First of all, turn to Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse fifteen. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse fifteen. It states here, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, what's the the Greek word for traditions? Using Strong's Paradosis, Paradosios. And it means to deliver and teaching, a tradition, doctrine, or injunction delivered or communicated from one to another, whether divine or human. Now, this is found in the Complete Word Study Dictionary. And it says the expression, the tradition of the elders, occurs in Mark 7, verse 3, and Mark 7, verse 5. The Pharisee delivered to the people by tradition their ancestors many injunctions which were not written in the law of Moshe or Moses. For this reason, the sect of the Sadducees rejected them. And you realize that the Sadducees didn't understand or, or didn't believe in the resurrection. Saying that there was, saying that what was written should be esteemed obligatory, but that which came from the oral tradition need not be observed. Thus Josephus explains the expression, the tradition of the elders or of the Pharisees. The words of the elders were considered more desirable than the words of the prophets. So, that is the Greek standing of tradition. Uh, A synonym for this word is dogma, ordinance, decree, disposition. Uh, It's familiar with the word uh, custom, which in the Greek is ethos. All right, so. That should give you a more deeper insight in the word I mean, of the word tradition. So let's go back. I've already quoted Second Thessalonians two verse fifteen. Uh, states plainly that we should hold, and that word in the Greek word means to to retain the traditions. And so people. Some people have tried to challenge me when I quote the scripture. It's pretty obvious that it's saying that uh, Shaul or Paul had certain traditions that he kept. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And so if Shaul kept traditions, certainly um, Yeshua as a Jew kept traditions as well. Now, I want you to notice verse 2. It says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. That is the same Greek word for tradition as you for ordinances, as I delivered them to you. Now, this is very important for you to understand. As I delivered them to you. And so any Jewish tradition that he delivered to them, he's telling them and ordering them to keep all right, I want you to understand the significance of this scripture. All right, when you're following someone, you are following their tradition. A tradition basically is how 
uh, you interpret any orders that are given to you, how, how you how you work it out, your halakha, your walk. All right, and that's what Shaul or Paul is commanding us to do in First Corinthians eleven verse one. He says, "Be ye followers of me." even as I also am of the Messiah. Verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances or traditions as I delivered them to you. And so people try to get, you know, smart aleck with me at times and and uh, try to tell me that, you know, the traditions... They give me the um, impression that I have to be really, really extra careful about the traditions. And, I, you know, I believe we should be careful about any tradition, whether it's Jewish tradition, Catholic tradition, whatever. We have to be careful to, to uh, blindly believe any tradition, any doctrine, any teaching, any injunction delivered or communicated from one another. We have to be careful about that. But not all tradition is wrong. And that's inclu- that includes Jewish tradition. And so we, we have to be careful not to get uh, too, or let's put it this way, fanatical about this. Once we to understand our Hebraic roots, we have to be careful not to boast against those branches and get arrogant because of our knowledge that we are acquiring. All right, Acts 25, verse 8. Acts 25, verse 8. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. Now, this is a very, very interesting scripture here. In Acts 25, verse 8, he states that he did nothing against the Torah of the Jews. What is the Torah of the Jews? Well, obviously it involves the written Torah, the Bible, but it also involves the traditions. And so the the scripture, again, is certainly in full support of good Jewish tradition. Says why he answered for himself, neither against the law. And this is Shaul. If you look at this context here, he's he's uh, he has to testify, speaking for himself. He says neither against the Torah of the Jews, or the doctrines and teachings of the Jews, which involves tradition. Neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. He did not offend anything at all. The Greek uh, understanding of offended means to err, to sin, a trespass, to miss the mark. So he didn't miss the mark at all in the Torah of the Jews, which involves the written and the oral law at that time. Um, You need to understand that the oral law back then certainly wasn't the oral law uh, that was developed later on uh, past the 200 A.D. called the Mishnah. And then later that became the Talmud. So it was it was different, and uh, I'll give a Bible study on that in the future, explaining how. But anyway, Acts twenty five verse eight is a very significant scripture for you to memorize and at least know where it's located. Acts twenty eight verse seventeen. 
Acts 28, verse 17. States the following, And it came to pass that after three days Shaul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or the customs, the customs of our fathers, that's traditions again, that word custom means ethos. I just talked about that because it certainly is linked with tradition. A usage, uh, in the Greek it means a usage prescribed by habit of law, custom, manner. So he's saying that he has committed nothing against the people or the customs of our fathers, which includes, of course, the traditions of the Jews. Yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So that's another significant scripture, gentlemen, that is in full support of good Jewish tradition. Now, let's get a biblical definition of what the tradition of the elders still is today, as it was back then. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then came together to him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. Verse 2, and when they saw some of his Talmudim, or disciples, eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, off eat not, holding their tradition, that's the same word, tradition, of the elders. Verse 4, and when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received a hold as a washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy Talmudim, or disciples, according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Now here's Yeshua's response. In verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well, has Elijah, or Isaiah rather, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honored me with their lips, but with their heart but their heart is far from me. Verse 7, Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, or, or for teaching the commandments of men. Verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, so they what they did, this, this is when a tradition is bad, when you forget what the Bible says to hold your tradition. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other things many other such like things you do. Verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. That's your Bible definition of a bad tradition, a bad Jewish tradition, any other tradition for that matter. When you reject the commandment of God, so that you can keep the tradition. If you don't reject the commandment of God uh, to keep a tradition, then that's a good tradition, and that's a tradition that you should accept. Verse 10, for Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whosoever curseth father and mother, let him die to death. Okay, these are commandments that can be found um, in the, in the uh, written code that, that uh, God inspired Moses to write. First five books. All right? And then verse 11, But you say, now this is what their tradition, that makes void this commandment or these commandments. It says, But, he says, but you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, verse 12, and you 
suffer him no more to do all for his father or mo- mother, or you don't allow him to help his parents. And see, if they do that, then they're, this is what they're doing in verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such things do you. So a bad tradition is a tradition, whether it's Jewish or otherwise, that makes the word of God of none effect. Okay? It voids, it annuls, or invalidates the word of God. That's a bad tradition. A good tradition validates the word of God. Let me repeat. A bad tradition invalidates the word of God. A good tradition validates the word of God. All right? So let's understand that. Matthew 16, verses 11 to 12, is a warning from the Master. Let's turn there. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Verses 11 to 12. says, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Some people say, well, uh, the Sadducees and what they teach is all bad and so forth. Well, he grouped, and these were the, one of the two most popular sects of Judaism at that time, or at that time, or it wasn't called Judaism, but uh, the Jews' religion back then, or the the Torah of the Jews. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, two of the most popular sects or divisions among the the Torah of the Jews or or the Jews themselves. All right. And so verse 12, it's a significant scripture. It gives you the biblical interpretation of what he meant by leaven in this context. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So we should be careful of anyone's doctrine, any teaching. Uh, hold your place in Matthew 16, verse 12. Even Shaul or Paul, even the Bereans, listen carefully to what Paul said and check to see whether those things were so. Uh, in verse 10 of Acts 17, verse yeah, Acts 17, verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Shaul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So notice that Christians during that time, they went into synagogues or they had home churches. Verse 11, or assemblies. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So they didn't blindly believe everything that Shaul was teaching. They checked to see whether those things were so. And because of that, this is this is the result. Verse 12, Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. All right. So we need to be careful of any Jewish tradition or any teachings of the of the. Pharisees or the Sadducees of any other or any other Jewish sect. We need to be careful and not blindly believe everything that someone says. And unfortunately, even in the Hebraic Roots movement, I see that. I see people uh, and I hear people disbelieving anything and not checking into not checking to see whether those things are so. And not following Acts chapter 17 verse 11. And that same thing goes for me. Check and see what I'm telling you. 
All I do is quote scriptures. And if you get mad because of the scriptures I'm quoting, you have a problem with God himself, and you need to take that up to him. All right. So where are we here? Now, let's understand. Some Jewish tradition does have value. I think I've proven it enough to you, but there's more proof. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 20 to 22. John chapter 4. says, our fathers worship in this mountain. This is in the, in the backdrop or context of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Uh, John 4, verse 20, our fathers worship in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. In verse 21 of John chapter 4, Yeshua said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship, ye know not what, or you don't know what you're worshiping. We know what we worship, so <laughs> he's grouping himself with the imperfect Jews, ladies and gentlemen. He came to earth as a Jew, and he's associating himself with the Jews. Because the Jews know how to worship God. They knew how to worship God back then. They still do today. Now, they're not, they don't do it perfectly, but... As Romans chapter 11, they are partially blinded, meaning that they do have some true knowledge. You worship, ye know not what, for we know what we worship for salvation is of the Muslims, the Arabs, the Catholics, the Protestants, all the various Christian sects or denominations. No, it says salvation is of the Jews. It's a very powerful scripture there. All right? And so that is scripture of proof and evidence that Yeshua associated himself with the imperfect Jews. Not, not of course, with the ones who were teaching incorrectly, the ones that were teaching correctly, which there were quite a few that were teaching correctly. Not all of them were teaching false doctrine. Okay. 3, verse 1 to 2. It says, what advantage has the Jews? So this scripture tells you that a Jew has an advantage. Or what profit is there of circumcision? Circumcision, in this context, means a Jew. So becoming a Jew involved back then uh, a ritual to become a Jew, which that's, that's not a part of the Bible. But what he's saying is that there is profit of being a Jew. Verse 2, he says, much every way. He says, much in every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The oracles of God, or the utterance of God. And so the Jews have an advantage. Certainly their traditions, their good traditions that don't make void the word of God has great value based on these two scriptures. And remember that Shaul said he followed Yeshua's example, So, and Shaul stated that he did not err uh, in reference to the good Jewish tradition. So if he did not err, then Yeshua didn't err, and obviously Yeshua must have kept the, good, the, the Jewish tradition that, that did not conflict with the Scriptures, which... According to these scriptures, there was quite a few that didn't. 
All right, James 1, verse 27. James 1, verse 27. James 1, verse 27. Oop, we have somebody that wants to speak here. Hello, Austin, you're on the air. Hey, I was just wondering, I've got a a friend who teaches that, that this is first John, it says that the, um, uh, now you might already talked about this, but I just tuned in, so I'm sorry, you already have, but um, he said that in first John it says, that it calls him Antichrist, and he's right. It does say that anyone that does not believe in Messiah is an Antichrist. It is because of that we can't follow any of their teachings. I just wonder what you thought about that one. Uh, about uh, the fact that... All right, what was that scripture again about the... That's in First John chapter 4, right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. About them being called Antichrist. And what, is, what did your friend say now? He says that because of that... If if we can't find the tradition in Torah, we should, and we well, pretty much shouldn't even look at them. But we should that we should follow in their t- traditions if we cannot find them in Scripture. We should we should follow traditions that's not found in Scripture. No, we should we should we should because of what it says there, we shouldn't do anything any of their traditions that's not found in, in Torah. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, any tradition that's not founded in the written word of God, we should not follow. He, and he goes so far as to say that we shouldn't be looking at their traditions, period. We, well, you know. well, I just quoted some scriptures about Paul, that he did keep the traditions. Yeah. Yeah, so that, we we got to go by the scriptures. And he even commanded us to keep the traditions that he handed down, that he verified to be okay for us to keep. Okay. So, I mean, we, again, I mean, this. You know, when people say things, we got to be Bereans, and we have to check the scriptures and see whether or not uh, what they're saying is true. And uh, the scriptures that I quoted certainly proves that not all Jewish tradition is bad. And not just Jewish tradition, uh, some other tradition. <laughs> as long as they yeah. don't make void the law of God, it's okay to keep. Yeah, that's the thing about that hand washing tradition that everyone likes to point at. They missed the fact that he didn't say, why don't you? He said, why not your disciples? Yeah. So that actually almost implies that Yeshua kept that tradition. Yes, he did. And he kept quite a few of the Jewish traditions. And the thing that is so disturbing about this movement um, at times is that people, they understand that uh, they finally realize, duh, Jesus is a Jew, right? And then if he's a Jew, then you got to understand that he had certain traditions attached to being a Jew that he had to keep. Just like if you're a Mexican, right? Mm-hmm. You have certain Mexican traditions that you keep, right? Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Well, same thing with Jewish tradition. Not all of it's bad. And I would say not all the traditions of if, if any type of human race is bad. Uh, you have to always use the Bible to screen out good tradition and bad tradition and accept any tradition that validates the scriptures and reject any tradition that invalidates so does that answer your question yes thanks alright no problem hey nice talking to you again Austin we'll we'll talk later on okay bye oh yeah yeah. bye okay All right, let's get back to, 
what I was talking about here. Now, James 1, verse 27. James 1, verse 27. Here's another key scripture to help us to understand which traditions we accept and which traditions we don't accept. Uh, James 1, verse 27, it says, Pure religion and undefiled before God, and that word religion in the Greek means worship. Worship. Pure worship and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And of course, the, the Torah, the written instructions of Yah, which is practically the entire Bible, basically, uh, because Yeshua stated that we must live by every word of God. There's quite a few instructions in the uh, what is called the New Testament or the Apostolic Scriptures. So anyway, any tradition that helps us to worship in this way, uh, to inspire us to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and of course to, to behave ourselves and, and have a good morality about ourselves, is, is tradition, of course, that validates the Bible, uh, validates true worship or pure worship, and we should accept those traditions. All right. We must be very important, important to understand this. We must not boast against the Jewish branches. That this is a big issue. Well, it's probably I don't know if it's a big issue, but it is an issue among the Hebraic Roots movement. Because I, I hear about boasting. I, I do experience the boasting. And we need to stop it. Romans eleven verse eighteen. Romans 11, verse 18. says, Boast not against the, the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. So here, we talk about the Hebraic roots movement. Let's understand something. We're not the root. <laughs> and it says, But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root. We don't bear the root. We're, we're learning about the root. But the root thee. So the Jewish roots, along with his traditions, uh, bears us up. We don't bear the roots. Alright, and then verse 19 says, Thou will say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Yeah, that's true. Verse 20, Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded. Here we go with the arrogance. The arrogance. But fear. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 11, But if God spared not the natural branches, Take heed that not he also spare not thee. So, you know, let's, let's, let's stop it with all this arrogance because you're learning about standing the Bible in a deeper way because you're understanding the roots of the Bible, which is Jewish, ladies and gentlemen. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 1. Now, as touching things offered into idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up. See, that's the thing about knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. You, you could learn so much that you just start getting arrogant and think you know everything. But let me read the rest of this. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth, or giving, love. What is love? Love is walking in the commandments, Second John 1, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. So once you start thinking you know all this and know all that, you better cool out and humble yourself. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. 
understand this point here. And I'm probably not going to have time to do the Torah readings today, unfortunately. But uh, um, the world to come will be ruled by Jews. Matthew chapter 19, verse 27 to 28 proves this. Let me turn there here. Matthew 19, verse 27 to 28. Then answered Shaul, or not Shaul, Kepha. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Verse 28, Matthew chapter 19. And Yeshua said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So the world to come will be ruled by the most powerful, intelligent Jew of all time, Yeshua, and his Talmudim, which are his disciples, the twelve apostles. Okay, so let's picture that in your mind, the, the, the top people of God's government, when it comes on this earth, will be ruled by Jews. By those that he taught, his disciples, or his Talmudian. All right, and one last scripture here. Well, I'm going to go a little over here, so uh, you need to catch the entirety of this program in the archives. <laughs> I say this a lot, but it's kind of hard to predict how long this program will last because the Holy Spirit leads me into saying things, so... Uh, I have about two minutes. I'm going to go off the air, and then you can listen to the the rest of this program in its entirety. Because there's some other things I want to say about tradition. All right. In Zechariah 8, verse 23, states the following. Zechariah 8, verse 23. It states... Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew. And so this is symbolic. You have ten men out of all the languages of the nations. So it's talking about people that are starting to, to understand the going. In this context, nations is going. All right, And they shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, this is scripture, folks. So if God is with the Jews, how can all their traditions be bad? Let's, let's uh, use our common sense again. Examples of good Jewish traditions. The Siddur, that's a Jewish prayer book. It has all kinds of good prayers in there uh, for synagogue service. You have the traditional Torah readings that I hope to go over a little bit today with you. Um, then you have the Kiddush, the, the Tefillin, which is based on keeping the Shema, the Havdalah, which closes the Shabbat, uh, the uh, celebration of Shabbat. Those are all good traditions. There's, there's, there's others that I can talk about. But let's let's stop thinking that everything that the Jews teach is wrong and and uh, the traditions are wrong. So you, you have to understand, you have to understand that not all tradition 
is bad. So I'm going to go off the air here. I'm going to get through with the program, and you could, uh, in the next 30 to 45 minutes, uh, listen to the program in its entirety. In its entirety. Shalom. Peace. Okay. I'm in the recorded session of the program here. Let's uh, finish up on this. And so the practical application of this program today. Not all Jewish tradition is bad. To accept a Jewish tradition, make sure it does not conflict with the scriptures. Any tradition that helps us care about the poor and afflicted and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world is a good tradition. We must be careful not to get arrogant against good Jewish tradition because we are starting to understand the Bible. So we got to be careful about that, ladies and gentlemen. Let's let's not get arrogant. Let's, after all, God didn't choose. Uh, many of us uh, did not come to us and gave the oracles. He gave the Jewish people or uh, Israel back then the twelve tribes, the the oracles. And then later on, of course, uh, through history, the tribe of Judah became Jews. All right. So the Torah readings. Uh, today we have uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, to, to Genesis 32, verse 2. And courtesy of Habat.org, I'm going to read the little summary of Genesis 28, verse 10, uh, Genesis 32, verse 3. It says, Jacob leaves his hometown of Beersheba and journeys to uh, Charan. On the way, he encounters the place and sleeps there, dreaming of a ladder connecting Heaven and the earth, with angels climbing and descending on it. God appears and promises that the land upon which he lies will be given to his descendants. In the morning, Jacob raises the stone on which he laid his head as an altar and monument, pledging that it will be made the house of God, or Bethel. In Haran, Jacob stays with and works for his uncle Laban, or Laban, tending Laban's sheep. Laban agrees to give his younger daughter Rachel, whom Jacob loves, in marriage and return for seven years' labor. But on the wedding night, Laban gives him his elder daughter, Leah. Instead, a deception Jacob discovers only in the morning, Jacob marries Rachel, too, a week later after agreeing to work another seven years for Laban. Leah gives birth to, now here's a birthing contest, basically, beginning. Uh, Leah gives birth to six sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, and daughter Dinah, while Rachel remains barren. Rachel gives Jacob her handmaid, Bilia. Bila, as a wife to bear children in her stead, and two more sons, Dan Naphtali, are born. Leah does the same with her handmaid, Zelpa, who gives birth to Gad and Asher. Finally, Rachel's prayers are answered, and she gives birth to Joseph. Jacob has now been in Haran for 14 years, or Charon for 14 years, and wishes to return home. But Laban persuades him to remain, now offering him sheep in return for his labor. Jacob prospers despite Laban's repeated attempts to swindle him. After six years, Jacob leaves Charon in uh, stealth, fearing that Laban would prevent him from leaving with the family and property for which he labored. Laban pursues Jacob, but is warned by God in a dream not to harm him. Laban and Jacob make a pact on Mount Gal-Ed, attested by a pile of stones, and Jacob proceeds to the Holy Land where he is met by angels. And so that is the whole Torah portion, the uh, first five books version, uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 to, to Genesis 32, verse 3. 
And we have, it's pretty interesting, that Torah portion that, about the, the ladder and Bethel and and him envisioning angels going up and down to heaven and then the the situation with Jacob or Yaakov and and uh, his two wives and so forth. Uh, pretty interesting situation. It shows you how patient uh, Yaakov or Jacob was in his situation dealing with Laban, the wicked Laban. And we should be also patient when dealing with certain individuals in, in certain circumstances. Hosea chapter 12, and here's the Haftarah section, Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12, starting at verse 12. And Yaakov fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. And by a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. Verse 14, Ephraim, or which is, uh, uh, can, be, can, can represent the ten tribes, uh, the ten lost tribes, or they're not lost to me, but uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, because it was split uh, uh, because of the sin of Solomon, it was split in half. It was the king, you had the, um, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And then it's verse 14, Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore shall he leave his blood upon him, and his reproach shall his Lord return unto him. And so, Hosea chapter 13 talks about when Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel, but when he offended in Baal, he died. And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding, all of it the work of the craftsmen. They say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passeth away, as the shaft that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor and as the smoke out of the chimney. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Verse 5, I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought, pastures, so were they filled, they were filled, and their heart was exalted, therefore they have forgotten me. They have forgotten me. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard, by the way will I observe them. Verse 8, I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps, and will rend the, the call of their, their heart. And there will I devour them like a lion, and wild beasts shall tear them. Verse 9, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Verse 10, I will be thy king, where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities, and judges of whom thou sayest, Give me a king and princes. Verse 11, I gave thee a king in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is hid. Verse 13, the sorrows of a Travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. Verse 14 of Hosea chapter 13. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from my eyes. Verse 15. Though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness and his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up, 
and he shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Verse 16, Samaria, which was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel, shall become desolate, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. That's horrifying, but that's what happens when uh, we disobey God. God shows us how angry he is by punishing us. Hosea 14, verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thy iniquity. Verse 2, take with you words and turn to the Lord, do teshuva, repent. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips. Verse 3, Ashur, which is in the area of Iraq today, shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. For indeed, the fatherless fine of mercy. Verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned away from him. I will be as a dew unto Israel. He shall grow as a lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. Verse 6, his branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under the shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine, the scent thereof shall be as of the wine of Lebanon. Verse 8. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Verse 9. Who is wise, and, and he shall understand these things? Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord, the halakha of the Lord, are right and just shall walk, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Very, very good prophecy. There's really nothing for me to say. It's pretty straight and forward. Uh, Ephraim is referring today, of course, of the, the British people, the countries in northwestern Europe, Canada, Australia, uh, South Africa, New Zealand, and, of course, people that attach themselves to the commonwealth of Israel, by accepting the Lord Yeshua as their Savior. All right. We have the apostolic scriptures here, and we have um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, to Matthew 4, verse 11. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13. Then cometh Yeshua from Galilee to Jordan to John to be immersed of him. Verse 14, but Yohanan forbade him, saying, I have need to be immersed of thee, and you come unto me. And verse 15, and Yeshua answers unto him, Allow it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. So this is an example of a of, of something that is not specifically uh, written in the Old Testament, but this is something, of course, that Yeshua commands us to do, and of course, he is our example. So if he did it, we should do it. Then he allowed him. Verse 16, and Yeshua, when he was immersed, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open, or the skies were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKadosh, descending like a dove, and enlightening Upon him, in verse 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. 
Then Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Then was Yeshua led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of Hasatan of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungry. Verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And one of the most uh, profound statements ever in the Bible. Verse 4. But he answered and said unto them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so that's what man should live by. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then Hasatan taketh him unto the holy city and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. In verse 6. And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, that not at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. In verse 7. Yeshua said unto them, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, take of him up into an exceeding high mountain, and show him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. In verse 9, And he said unto them, All these things will I give thee. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry about that. All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. In verse 10, Then said Yeshua unto them, Get thee hence, Hasatan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only you shall serve. In verse 11, Then the devil leaves him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to service him, or helped him. And so, people want to know how to fight. How to fight the devil. Well, you fight the devil by using the word of God. Specifically, let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians. Chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the vials of the devil. Verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Truth, what is truth? Psalm 119, 142. It is the entire instructions of Yah. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, and your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith wherein you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Entire armor of God, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, the main weapon that we use, just like Yeshua used, he used the word of God. It was like a sword to Hasatan, and he had to leave. And that's the, ultimately the way we fight the devil and his demons, through the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. All right. You can follow me on Blog Talk Radio. Simply click the follow button. And also, I'm a, I am also on iTunes. 
And please tell your friends and neighbors about this show. If you enjoyed it, and if you have learned something, and if you feel that it's going to benefit your friends and neighbors. Well, the next topic of the show is entitled Trusting God. How do we trust in God? And the Torah readings for next week is Genesis chapter 32, verse 3, Genesis 36, verse 43, Obadiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 21, John chapter 1, verse 19 to John chapter 2, verse 12. Please go to my website, mercifulservantsofgod.com. There are some interesting articles on the website and some interesting information. Also, my blog, mercifulletters.com. Finally, please go to hoshanarabba.org, H-O-S-H-A-N-A-R-A-B as in boy, B as in boy, A-H, dot org. reason why I'm telling you to go to that website is it has a PDF that you can download that will help you read the entire Bible in a year based on the traditional Torah readings. All right, well, I really enjoyed speaking to you and teaching. And y'all willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.